Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we are creating connection through dialogue. In this season, I speak with community leaders and creatives as we explore meaningful topics and the obstacles that they have encountered along their paths. It's inspirational, it's fun, it's complex. Edith grew up in the border town of Brownsville, Texas. She describes the many challenges she faced early on while navigating her Mexican-American identity and how struggling to fit in and severe confidence issues led her into a cult. Edith shares this deeply vulnerable experience with grace and courage. Ultimately, it's a story of human resilience and overcoming. Here's our conversation. Hi, Edith. Hi, Denny. How's it going? Going great. How are you? I'm good. How's your uh, Sunday been so far? It's been good. Slept in, walked my dog, um, ran late for this. <laughs> so you reminded me. <laughs> Call yourself um, out right from the beginning. Yeah, I would do. But other than that, it's been it's good. I've been excited to do this. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump in. Okay. Okay. So where are you from? I am from a border town named Brownsville, Texas. It's the most southern tip of Texas, um, next to Sao Padre Island and Matamoros, Mexico on the other side. Okay. And what was it like growing up there? Um, it's a very homogenous society. It's about, I think, 96% um, Hispanic. And okay. either people are from Mexico or their first generation. Um, beyond that, the people tend to move away. So... Uh, I yeah kind of like a transition town. I wouldn't even say that um everyone speaks Spanish, everyone conducts business in Spanish. Um just it really to me felt like a continuation of Mexico. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't really know what it was like to experience American culture. And you're living in America, and it's like a fully Spanish-speaking town. Yeah. So um, my only real way of experiencing what I thought American culture was was from television and from music, um, pop culture, basically. Gotcha. Is your family originally from Mexico? Yeah. They are from... uh, My parents are from a town in central Mexico. Well, the state is also called San Luis, but San Luis Potosí, San Luis. So um, from there, they moved to Matamoros, Mexico, at different times, but they, that's where they met. So it's kind of funny that they're from the same town and they ended up moving to the same place, but they didn't know each other. Until they met yeah. at that place. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And were you born here or were you born in Mexico? No, I was born in Brownsville. Oh, okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. You call Brownsville a border town, right? Yeah. What's it like growing up in a border town? Well, I guess for me it was challenging because I had this obsession of wanting to be American. Mm. But all my family is from Mexico. My parents are from Mexico. We were at the time the only other family that uh, from our extended family that lived in the U.S. Okay. So um, I just, you know, 
kept saying everything as being Mexican and I really wanted to know what it was like how white people lived for some reason. Really? Yeah. I, I was just really enamored with this idea of what it was to be an American and it was challenging for me because I I think I wanted to do away a little bit of my heritage because I was ashamed or I, I wanted to aspire to be something different. I think my family picked up on that and I, I don't know if they felt that I was embarrassed of my culture or that I felt less than. So that was challenging for me. I think it's really courageous for you to even make that statement. Like that's, I'm sure there's a lot of people um, from different heritages that experience that. And mm-hmm. I feel like that voice isn't given enough platform yeah um what where do you think that came from can you remember or is it just like growing up you just had that kind of instinct well um impulse i guess yeah like how i said that i was really into pop culture i would grow up watching elvis movies really late at night and then also i would watch shirley temple movies okay and i would think like that the best people in life are blonde, blue-eyed, white people. They have it made. Uh, they, um, they're cultured. They, they have money. They have great houses. They have opportunities to see the world. And I didn't see that in myself or, you know, my family beyond. Like I, I had a very narrow view of what it meant to live a good life. Oh, I see. So, and I think I was just wanted something different something more and i i felt that i wasn't seeing what other people would see of the world i felt very encapsulated in one area that yeah so i i'm not really entirely sure like as a child what i thought i think i just wanted to see the world and i wanted to move away from what i knew yeah well it's it's interesting because it just sounds like you have your witnessing these people who have quote unquote success Mm -hmm. and they happen to be, you know, white, Mm -hmm. blonde hair, blue eyes. And it's, I mean, it's pretty natural human instinct to be like, Hey, like I want that, you know, Mm -hmm. all that opportunity. Well, and then also I would think that it stems from the fact that we, well, my parents made the choice to move away from Mexico to the U.S. because they, they believed there would be more access to opportunities, education, um, better jobs, uh, a possibility for their own home. So you kind of grow up with this belief that the U.S. is the answer. Oh. That maybe. Americans are the answer. The Americans have it made. Uh, they have a, this, a, you know, this evidence from entertainment (laughs) that they live a great life, that that this is where you're supposed to head to. Yeah. That's an interesting idea that entertainment creates this version of America too. Yeah. And then obviously it ends up not being very true because (laughs) when I would uh, hear about behind the scenes of what would happen with Shirley Temple of, I don't know why she was my role model. Well, she was. And then I would hear about these terrible things. And now as an adult, I have a bigger picture of what goes into creating an image. Now I think like, oh, wow, like that it wasn't real, obviously. But I didn't think about it then. I thought this is just how American life really is curated. Yeah. What happened with Shirley Temple behind the scenes? 
I think she started working when she was a really young child, about th- um, like three or so. She was in this movie. Um, my goodness, I forgot the name of it. But they would purposely would make her outfits where the backside of her uh, dress usually was shorter. So her undergarments were always exposed. Yeah. And they would curate these children to do um, sexual movements but that they were supposed to be, uh, how would I say, like innuendo. So things like that were now really? as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that's oh, freaky that's as hell. pretty gross. But yeah. that that was kind of her, the aesthetic they gave her to be someone where she, that the adult really loved her in more than a platonic way. Oh, man. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then uh, Elvis, I would hear about, you know, his excessive drug use and alcoholism and, you know, things he would do to women and stuff like that. So I just listened to a podcast on Elvis Mm -hmm. and it talked about his like cultural appropriation to a whole new level. Yes. Like most of his music wasn't written by him. Mm hmm. It was almost completely stolen from, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy podcast. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to Brownsville. Yes. Brownsville or Brownville? Brownsville. Brownsville. Mm-hmm. What's it like with your family? What's it like at school? What's your uh, experience? <laughs> so I was always a different child. I grew up, I loved television. I loved music. And when I would go to school, I would talk about the things that I would watch at home and I and you know I was a second grader watching in living color I don't know if you ever heard of that yep yes so um I would talk about things from Saturday Night Live in living color it was obviously shows that weren't appropriate for you know seven eight year olds but I would talk about this and the kids around me had no idea what I was talking about I would talk about my love for Green Day, Metallica, and all the other kids were <laughs> as a listening. little kid. Yeah, they had no idea what I was talking about because it, they would be listening to like regional Mexican music that their parents listened to. That's that's uh, normal. So I was always seen as strange because I didn't listen to quote unquote like Spanish music. And then, as a kid, I believe after first grade, I had to take a test at school. They didn't tell me what the test was for, but I, I was given a story about some raven and a pebble, and then I had to give an answer about uh, what should this raven do, and I only have like a little bit of memory of this, but all I know is that the following year, I ended up at another school that was across town, and... Because of that test? Yeah, so what it was, was that I got accepted into this gifted and talented pro, uh, gifted and talented program. Oh. Uh. Yes, and all of... But I was not... I guess I didn't understand. I mean, I was a child, but all I knew is that all of a sudden I was being bused to a school across town um, with kids that I didn't know, and I I was supposed... To, I wasn't doing well there. But it was just because I didn't understand what was happening. And it was very clear that myself and the other really brown kids were not treated very well. Was it a white school? There were a lot of white students. And that was like my first encounters with being with other white kids in school. Because I uh, the area that I lived in was low income. 
yeah, everyone just looked like me. So when I would go there, I, I just always wondered why my teacher hated me or what what was going on that made me so different. But now I, as, a, as an adult, I realize, oh, I was being bust. So, um, yeah. So And you felt that as a kid. Yeah, but you, you yes. Like, even when you couldn't put words to it, you're like, this teacher is acting strange towards me. Yeah. So I was bullied. I didn't do well in math. That's all I remember. But I was very good at reading and writing and things like that. But it was always this constant thing of like being told that I was weird. And I didn't understand why I was weird. But so like, this this school wasn't in Brownsville. Then, right? It was it was in Brownsville. But uh, Brownsville, I would say it takes probably about 30, 40 minutes to drive from one side to the other. Okay. So it's pretty, it's, it's vast. It's not like a huge community, but it's a pretty big city. Yeah. So I just remember hating school and, and feeling like my teachers hated me. I, I didn't really understand like why my teachers would tell me that I was asking stupid questions and things like that. And I, I just thought like, why am I here? I hate this place. You know, nobody likes me. So like that that also traveled in home. Like my parents never understood like why I was the way I was <laughs> and um not more traditional, I guess, even from the get go. As I grew up, that intensified when I became a teenager, I went into this really deep goth phase. Okay. Yeah. So Nice. Yeah. I was, I was a ninth grade emo kid. Yeah. So, so uh and in Brownsville it's just really strange. To all of a sudden see this kid that's always dressed in black. Um, I had. Were there goth kids there that like could back you up or was it you? Just there, like, there was there were two, but they were uh, seniors when I was a freshman. So I, I uh, you know, then there's that whole hierarchy that you don't talk to the senior kids, you know. So yeah. but at home, it was very difficult for my parents. They, they felt um, that I put great shame onto the family. They would always tell me, what are people going to think? And, and I had this idea like. I don't talk to people. Why do you care so much about what they think? And you don't even know me. Yeah. So because I kept a lot of things to myself. Yeah. I don't think I was exactly the kid that they expected I was going to be. I think they, they kind of thought I was going to be a traditional Mexican girl that had traditional interests and ways of expressing herself. And I, I just wasn't. And, I think it started this idea that there was always something inherently wrong about me. Did you have siblings? Yes. I am the youngest. I have an older brother and sister and and then another brother. So the older kids are 11 and 12 years older than me. And then my brother that's closer to me in age is four years older. So So it's a big gap. Yeah. It, It felt like two sets of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Did your siblings, were they traditionally Mexican in the way you like worded that? No. And then this is so funny because I, I think they, my parents kind of expected that I would probably be along the lines of where they were, but I just looked and acted so differently than Even those from kids. Them? Yeah. So, yeah, like my, my oldest brother, he, I don't know. I, I think he would call himself like the black sheik of the family, but I would say he he kind of had more traditional things to do. But 
he ended up leaving home very early. He about when he was seventeen, he got married and he left home. Wow! And uh, then he ended up coming back and, and living at home. But then my sister, um, she was the first one in the family to go off to college, and she had a, a huge battle on that, trying to convince my parents to let her go to college because she got in. Um, she got accepted to Brown University. Wow. Which is so if you think about it in Brownsville, you know, it's under the poverty line. Uh, kids don't graduate from college much. Uh, I mean, graduate from high school, much less go to college and then to be accepted to an Ivy League school. Yeah. Yeah. In Rhode Island. So like way across, you know, the you know, we're thousands of miles from where we're at. It, you yeah. Know, that's like literally the opposite side of the country. Yeah. And she was very, very strong-willed person. Did she go? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, it took a lot of convincing. And then my brother, uh, who's closer to me in age, he ended up going to art school. He lived his life sketching. He was That's what he always did. He's always drawing Mario and, you know. Um, nice. I'm a big video game player. Yeah. He was always um, looking at his hands and uh, and you know, drawing images of his hands, of animals, of trees, things like that. Like, I think he, I remember him as like living his life in his head a lot. That's probably what my sisters would say about <laughs> me, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So you have this family that seems so unique, dynamic, mm -hmm. like intellectual, artistic. Yeah. I mean, they seem like they're, were your parents just not like ready for for that to happen? Yeah, I, I would say so, yeah. And I think it was the influence of living in the U.S. because then you have this belief that everything is possible. Yeah. So, but maybe to my parents, it might have been like, this is too much, uh, too many possibilities. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, I could imagine that being really, yeah, really difficult to... Exactly, and then also there's the idea that... Um, you know, your your family stays close. Yeah. You know, and I mean, as far as proximity and things like that. So for them, it might have been a shock that now we're living in this whole country and, and we're, I'm trying to bring my family here for opportunities. But now they're all going. What do yeah. you do with that? Because in Mexican culture, everyone stays close together. Right. We're one of them. Or they live together. Yeah. So. America's. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. how it was in, when I was in Brazil, too people would live with their parents until they got married mm -hmm. as opposed to here where it's like, Oh, you're 18 college. You're off. Yeah. So in my fam family, I think they, they thought it, I would say probably our extended family probably thought we were odd that everyone was like taking off. Like by the time we we're 18, you know? Yeah. Let's go back to where you're, you're in high school. You're trying to navigate. It sounds like you're interested in a lot of like pop, like you said, you're interested in a lot of pop culture. Mm hmm. How do you navigate that? Because it's sounding like you were having trouble like in white spaces. Yeah. And you're having trouble in brown spaces. Yeah. Because of your interests. That, uh, and I think that was one of the things that's very common for kids of immigrant parents is that on one hand, you're expected to be just as Mexican as the other family members. And then you have to be more American than your, your white counterparts. And then you end up never really reaching any of those goals yeah uh, one of the expectations yes one of the things that was very difficult for me was language um i i always had a different accent 
And then also one of the things I notice is when you speak in another language, sometimes there's a hesitancy that isn't there in in the language that you're more accustomed to. So when I would speak Spanish, it was always like a it sounded like that I was very unsure of myself because I would get criticized so much for my grammar, for um, the way I spoke it. And I would be called, yeah, then I would be called gringa. So then it would make me very worried to even speak at all. So I think that's why I ended up closing in on myself more and more and then feeling like, okay, well, here's another layer of why I don't match up of why I, I don't, that I, I'm still wrong. Yeah. I'm not good enough. So it's, uh, that's really hard. And then that's why I would just turn into, TV, books, things that I would just, I also lived in my head as well. And, and I didn't seek out many friendships because I always felt misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's a lot of layers there. Mm-hmm. What books and movies and what did you turn to? Um, I think a lot of horror. Oh yeah. <laughs> I felt that, you know, that I just like that feeling of, the unknown uh-huh. that made that felt more comfortable to me than the reality of situations. Uh, I loved horror movies. I would watch a lot of anime. Uh, what kind of anime? I, a lot of Dragon Ball Z. Oh, so th- this is a thing. Did you see Goku up there? Oh. I'm Super Saiyan Blue Goku. No, right I didn't see him. Um, Love Dragon Ball Z. What was funny though is that I would watch Dragon Ball Z broadcasted from the mexican networks because in brownsville you still could see mexican tv yeah so i watched dubbed dragon ball z in spanish yes no way <laughs> it's not, it, it was like really funny and especially it, uh i would watch sailor moon too okay yeah and the later episodes of sailor moon there would be a lot of gender play and a lot of you know lgbt you know relationships and things like that but Mexicans are very conservative. Yeah. Well, in this community. So they would try to pass things off as like, oh, these people are cousins. And then the storyline would not make sense at all. <laughs> like they would change yeah. And there was one episode where uh, Sailor Moon was nude. And I was like, oh my God. Like, oh, my mom's not seeing that I'm seeing this on TV. <laughs> like, I have like the remote and like close in hand. So yeah, you do like last channel. Yes. I always did last <laughs> channel. Yeah. And then I was really into fantasy. I would watch uh, my favorite movie for a long time was probably the never ending story. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you remember that one, but yep. mm-hmm. Hey y'all, if you like what you hear, please consider supporting us through Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You get access to bonus podcast content. And it provides the Soul Stories team the necessary resources to bring you more episodes and sustain the many projects we are already creating. You can find a link in the episode description. Now, back to the show. It's a lot of fantasy and things like that. Did you ever play Dungeons and Dragons? No, I I wasn't aware of that. Oh, man. You should talk to Chelsea. Okay. Um, she plays a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh. She loves it. I've actually wanted to know what that would be like to have like a Dungeons and Dragons night, you know. And yeah, pl- she um, and by Chelsea, I'm sure those who have listened have heard me reference her a bunch. She's the creative director of Soul Stories. Mm-hmm. She has like a whole like group of creatives and performers who do mm-hmm. it. And they 
um, really dive into the storytelling aspect of it. Oh. Yeah, I think you might be interested. Yeah. I've always wanted to get into it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to connect you after okay. this. Okay, we'll do. Um, yeah, we're in high school right now. Mm-hmm. I had applied to go to a different high school that was in my zone. So, but what the thing is that these high schools had different programs and I specifically went for the fine arts high school. So I had to audition and I had to choose what I was going to do when I went there. Okay. And I initially went with theater. Okay. And... I don't know if I would really say I was a good actor, but I did a monologue. I don't even know what the monologue was, but I was accepted. And I was in theater for about two years. It, it really, it wasn't the program that I thought it would be. They they kind of told me there would be a lot of these incentives, but that didn't work out. So I ended up transferring to the guitar department. I started off with this program called Estudiantina, okay. which is mariachi guitar and one of the things that was actually cool was that um i'm laughing because i have this image of myself being this goth teen playing mariachi music (laughs) but one of the things that we had a calendar of whose birthday it was like whether it be someone a student or a faculty member uh or in, in one of the situations it was a lunch lady so we would go as a class to this person and, and sing her happy birthday in, you know, Spanish. Yeah. Which is, a, it's way different than the American happy birthday. It's this, uh, the Spanish version talks about like, God looked down at you the day you were born and the flowers were born and this it's thing. more like extravagant. Yes. And the thing like, wow, like all these things happened when I was born. <laughs> so, yeah, we would go as a group playing the guitar and then somebody would be playing mandolin or the accordion and we would be singing to this person. So it would happen several times a month. I just had this mental image that I thought it was just so funny that I, I did not look like at all like the other <laughs> kids that were into regional Mexican music. But that's how I started out. And then after that, I transferred to the classical guitar area. And that was amazing. Really? Yeah. I realized that I was a really good sight reader. Okay. Um, I would never be able to tell you what note I was playing, but if someone said, uh, if showed me a piece of music, I could tell you like four different places you could play that note on the guitar, but I could not verbally tell you what it was. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was really good uh, wow. as far as sight reading, but I still had a lot of you know confidence issues when it came to playing. One of the things that we had to... When we would do guitar tests, we would have to do it in front of the classroom. Yeah. And there was this one time where I bombed the test. And I don't, I don't know why they did it this way, but I remember putting my guitar down and leaving the classroom and never coming back. What do you, what do you mean never coming back? Like till the next day or like ever? Yeah, no. the next. Oh, okay. I didn't come back to the uh, till the next day, and yeah, like I no one, my teacher never talked to me about it. I just. I think I did, yeah, and then I just left my all my stuff and I just took off. Like, I was so upset. (laughs) That must have been a bad test. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't do well, but it was mainly because I was just so nervous. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're really finding, like, a place in the arts. Like, that seems like where you kind of, like, you gravitate to while Mm -hmm. you're dealing with high school issues, identity issues. Yeah. I think that was uh, the only place where I felt like I had some sort of niche. But even when I was in there, I was always the one that was, you know, picked on and and told things. And so 
I don't know. I think I got I got to a place where I was used to not fitting in. But I I did meet a group of friends in high school. Nice. Yeah. I think as you know get get older you kind of lose touch, but I was very grateful that I had a core group of friends. That's cool. Mm-hmm. At this point in your life, what what's motivating you? What are you wanting to do? What's your what are your goals when you're young? So then after that, I moved I started doing media technology because I started getting into more like radio, TV, you know, film, things like that. So I started taking those classes. I I, I essentially joined the, what, would, what do you call it in TV where you see the kids that are in the the radio department? I'm trying to... I, uh, AV club, AV, AV, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yep. I it was essentially AV club. I and I got in that, and I started doing short films with my classmates. They were all terrible, <laughs> but that's where I started learning how to edit, how to, um, you know, do more media kind of things. And then from that, I that's when I ended up applying for film school. Mm. Did you go to film school? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So, Dang, um, so you're you're a pretty talented kid. I, I would call myself. I, I still, I kind of still think of myself in a way. I, I I call myself like jack of all trades, master of none. So yeah. But I'm hoping as an adult now, I I have more of the sense like to go for the things that I want to and not worry about what other people's perception of my skills or whether I'm going to be successful at it. Yeah, I, I I was very much worried about people's perception of me, and I think sometimes that that oh, a lot of the times it, it it didn't work out for me. It can be a really yeah, it can be a really damaging characteristic. I think most kids have it, mm-hmm. and I've had it for a really long time. And you know, yeah, it does. It can be like paralyzing when you're yeah. trying to chase after something that yeah. you really want. So I applied and I got in to film school at, at the University of North Texas, which was in the Dallas area. Okay. Actually, and I never told my parents, I had uh, applied to a school in New York and I got in and it was St. John's, but I never told them because I didn't have confidence that I could even, that I would do well there. Yeah. It was so far away. Uh, so I just didn't bother to tell them that I had gotten into a school like across the country. And Was it a pretty good art school? Who knows? I don't know at this point, but I, I would hear um, good things about it. And then I thought I would be in New York City. Yeah. But then I psyched myself out and I just didn't go for it. I went, I thought, okay, Dallas is good enough. It's far away enough. And, you know, I could still come home if I needed to. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you like it? What was your experience of moving away to going to school? So this is the thing. I look back at all, a lot of my experiences and I don't regret anything, but I wish I had known some things. I wish I had more confidence in myself, more belief in myself, because I, I definitely did not have people cheering me on. I remember when I you know, when I had applied and gone into school, uh, my sister talked to my father and he told her, I don't know if she's going to do well. I don't think she's going to do well in this because she's not, uh, she doesn't talk to people. It's very much one of those kind of careers where you have to do a lot of networking and things like that. And I carried that with me. And I, I, now you heard him say that to your sister. My sister came and told me. And then I would think, 
why why did you do that what was the point of that because in the end it didn't help me I, I internalized it and I I went to school but I kind of always had that belief like I shouldn't be doing this like that this is probably what's the wrong thing but so, what what keeps you going in that because like at this point you've already given us enough factors of mm-hmm. why any kid would give up right like there's so many things that you're like resilient and like persevering through I wanted to finish what I started. And you just had that natural kind of attribute. Not, I wouldn't, I don't even know really what uh, kept me going because I, the first year I was terrible. I, um, and I'm not trying to be mean to myself, but it was one of those things where I was not on reading level. I was not on writing level. I had to um, take two remedial math courses before I got into the real math that was required for my major. In college? Yes. Okay. Um, I remember being like, I think my second or third year and still being in the freshman courses of uh, math. It was so difficult for me. And I remember also getting my term papers back and the TA would write in, across my paper saying, this makes no, absolutely no sense. And I would get C's and things like that. And uh, wow, so you're you're battling even more when you yeah. It was really one of those things where it um it was sink or swim. And all through my life, I never told my parents what was going on with me. Like when I was in school as an elementary kid, like I didn't tell them what the challenges I was going through in class. I uh, didn't say anything through middle school, high school. I don't know why. I think I just didn't want to burn in my parents because. My dad, you know, was working so hard and so was my mom. So I just never, I kept all these things to myself and figured them out, even though I probably could have gotten help. Mm. So it was just, it was really difficult. And then in in sophomore year, I kind of hit my stride and I was um, making more B's and A's. And I was finally using the resources that I didn't know were available to me. I think now when I I look back is that I just didn't realize how much help there could have been. But because I was not used to being um, in an environment where kids went to college, I just tried to do my best for myself Yeah. instead of asking questions. But when you don't know anything, you don't even know what to ask. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, so... And and then I would see my friends that were doing this and I'm like, what? There's a there's a learning center. There's someone that will help you like read through your papers before you turn them in. You know, I didn't know. Yeah. It sounds like you've had to do a lot of solo navigating. Yeah. Most of your life. Mm -hmm. And did that attribute start to fade away as you like learned about new resources or have you kind of just always kind of internalized that characteristic? I would say it continued throughout my life that just depending on myself, feeling like that that was the answer. Yeah. Because I think I was afraid that if I asked for help, people would just think I was stupid. Mm. That why don't you know this? You know, and yeah. I, I felt it was better just to, you know, get to the end and, and hope for the best and not have to possibly have my parents tell me like I was right about this. Oh. Yeah. 
is that a big motivation that you've had to achieve things too? Is like to prove to you said to not burden them, right? Mm-hmm. But also to prove them wrong a little bit. I think for a while. Yeah. Yeah. But even in that, I didn't find much success in that because I, I was still so worried about people's perception of me. Gotcha. Yeah. So because I felt like I was living in a time when I had no answers or no direction, uh, this is, I would say when I was about 17, that's when I started getting really involved in religion. And I, it's not that I... How do you say I was approached to it? I had a lot of things that I had to navigate by myself. And one of the things was that when I was a child, I, I was molested by my elderly neighbor. Oh, wow. And I never told anyone. Like I said, I, I, I continued to live this life where I, I just problem solved for myself. And as a uh, around eight years old, I did tell one person. And for some reason, I chose to tell, tell the neighbor's wife, the neighbor who hurt me. Uh, I told her, uh, his wife, and she told me, don't tell anyone. So I didn't. And she probably just tried to deny it herself. Yeah. So I didn't tell anyone. And when I got older, I remember um, I was approached by a person who eventually uh, started her own ministry kind of keeping a little vague on the the detail of who this person was. But I remember telling her what happened to me when I was a kid. And at this point, I was about 17 years old, 16, 17. So I told her, and then she would talk, start talking to me about God and Jesus and things like that. And as she, she was the first person to really listen to me because I wouldn't, I never told anybody about my problems and all that, not even my family because I didn't want to burden anyone. Also, I didn't know exactly what it was that happened to me. Mm-hmm. So she asked if I wanted her to pray for me. And I said, sure, like what, what does prayer hurt, you know? And within this prayer, uh, she told me things about myself and one of the things was about my sexuality, which I also kept hidden. And she had told me, God told me that you have air of homosexuality on you, that if I pray and break it away, God will take this away from you and you'll have a beautiful life. And I said, okay, have God take it away from me. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And that's something that's been true for you. Well, it wasn't true. Well, yeah. It wasn't true. In how do you mean? Like, did you did you feel like you had gay feelings or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And she called this out without you telling her. Yes, and that's what Holy made shit. it. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, that's what made it even more horrifying. Was that I thought, wow, people can see the gay on me <laughs> or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or see something funny on me, and the, and yeah. yeah, and then that would that continued perpetuated the idea that there's something wrong with me. Oh my God! Everything just keeps adding up. Yes, and that's why I just like my story just keeps getting kind of stranger. Yeah. So she ended up becoming a, a huge source of information for me. I would always ask her opinion on things like. I got her opinion of what school I was going to apply to in college and things like that. And um, because I felt that I didn't have support at home, 
Yeah. Because I didn't want to come to them with these these questions. And also, I, I just knew that they, they didn't have as many answers as I needed. But then it set me up where I started depending on these people and who for were everything to get through things. Uh, but they would claim that they had prophecy for me like god told me that you're gonna go to this school that you're gonna study this that you're gonna make uh this project one day and it's gonna be huge so things like that where i was like oh my god okay yes like yes somebody yes. believes in you mm-hmm. and they would say that god told me these things and I, that to me was, blew my mind like god talks to you like <laughs> i've never heard god <laughs> yeah what does he sound like right. you know and they would say god chooses a voice that is familiar to you. That way you'll be able to process the information. And they had I mean, that's a, a believable narrative. Too. Yes. Especially when, you know, you come from a place where it's kind of hard to have big dreams. Yeah. You don't have role models of people who, you know, or you're not, it's not that you don't have role models, but you're not surrounded by quote unquote, the American dream or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, while I was going through college, I I really really depended on these people, and then this is like the first time that I was hearing about the the terms of being saved, and and now I thought like okay things are going to be great, and even when I die, it's going to continue to be great. Yeah. So in the sense that like these beliefs aren't very different from you know like hearing those people that that go to witness on college campuses, but then it started to get kind of weirder. Were they Christian? Were they their own name? They were Christians. Okay. Um, like and their I, own like sect? Well, they, w- they would probably consider themselves like evangelical Christians, but there okay. were things that they were doing that I, uh, that now that I, I'm older felt like that were very strange. So I go through, I get through college. I end up graduating. After college, when I graduated, they convinced me to move to Austin and, um, to live at the pastor's house because she she lived I'm going to just say the gender but she lived in Dallas but then she ended up moving to Austin and uh, I was convinced to move into her home oh wow and that I, is something that's strange yeah uh, because God was going to impart wisdom into me and I had to be there uh. she had told me that she had uh, that God had given her 40 years of knowledge of the kingdom Wow. So, yeah. I, 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 mean, I, don't if even, I were, yeah. I don't even know what that really means now. Right, but it <laughs> but sounds it, powerful. It made, I guess like that God had given her like 40 years worth of knowledge, I guess, in, in, into herself. So that sounded legit. I don't know. So I, I moved into her house and I, I stayed in the living room. I had a, a an arrow bed. But I remember the thing that, that now that strikes me kind of weird is that she would talk to me for hours and hours to the point where my eyes were just like fluttering. Really? Of, because I was so tired. Just but she, like unloading information on yeah, you? Yeah, and I was exhausted. And um, she would just keep talking to me about God and about things that he was telling her about me, about my family, about why, why things didn't work out for me and how like my parents didn't give me enough knowledge in this stuff like that where now I can see like they were she was making my family look really bad in order for me to 
lean on her more, I guess. Yeah. That's what I hear is one of the critical aspects of like cult like behavior. Yeah. Is trying to, I had a therapist, honestly, that did something similar. Oh really? Yeah. But it's, it's really attractive when somebody has these answers for you Yes, and like can get you out or seemingly get you out of your pain. Yes. And then it's easy in that point for that person to be like these people that you came from that like, you know, you have pain with these associations. Like I'm the answer kind of thing. And one of the things that I found that I find it interesting now is that she had, um, you know, ties with my parents so she would talk to them and she was very kind to them and things like that and they regarded her as uh someone that would help me my family and things like that so she still played nice with them but she then later on she would tell me yeah like your parents didn't do this for you that's why you struggle with this so it was really strange on on one hand she was really she knew how to say things in a way where uh, she would be flying under the radar no wow. matter what. Do you think she was isolated herself? I don't know. Or just had mental health issues or it's just so hard for me to understand why people make those choices. Uh, I don't know if she really did believe that God was talking to her or she had this uh, desire to control people. Yeah. So... Um, then being part of that while trying to navigate college, while trying to be a young adult and, and try to forge my own life uh, with that, I was still more isolated. You know, this is a normal time when people want to date and things like that. So whenever I would be honest about like whether I was interested in someone, they would squash that relationship right away. I remember I had a boyfriend one time for one day. <laughs> <laughs> and they managed to, you know, talk me into breaking up with that person because it was against God's will. Oh, that person, the the woman did that? Yeah. And then during this time, I was also, you know, still struggling with the idea of like that I didn't have attraction to women. I do now call myself a bisexual, but I was struggling with that. So I would, you know, had all these things going on in my mind that I was trying really hard to control my behavior so things wouldn't show. Um, what I found myself more and more was like I leaned on them so completely where I would ask like what job I should work at, where I should live. Does uh, Sh- this apartment, uh, you know, does God think this apartment is in my will? It got to the point where I no longer trusted myself at all and my opinions or my sense of reasoning through something I didn't trust myself because yeah. it, you know, from being in this place, I, I, everything about me was wrong. So why would I trust my own uh, rationale? Right. She's playing on that. She's, yeah. She's taking advantage of it. So for the longest time, like, I, I just would always, if I had to make a decision, I would come and bring it to church. And during these times, I would still be getting my purity checks where like, they were uh, regularly asked me if I was still a virgin, things like that. We had to do public confessions in front of everyone. Whoa. That's like confession to the next level. That's yeah. like confession shaming. Yes. And during these times, I learned how to control my facial movements. Uh-huh. Because I have an expressive face, but I would control it so much that they would not, they could not tell if I was depressed about anything 
I learned how to have small talk in the way where I sounded like I was interested in what they were telling me just so they would have no wind that I was going through something in my life. Because if they found those things out, then I would be subject to having casting out of spirits, which is kind of like an exorcism. Really? I I have had so many exorcisms done. I can't even count it. What's that like? Can you do you want to tell us or no? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh so uh, the pattern that I would see is that if the pastor saw something on your notice like there was a change in your behavior, she would pray on her own and then she would contact you and let you know, God told me, gave me prophetic word that you're struggling with this. Um you have this spirit on you and we have to um, break it off of you. And then from there, you would have to figure out where the spirit entered. Like what situation did you do or what uh, thing you said, what action was made that had you in agreement with the enemy, which is Satan. Mm. So then you have to find the open door. You have to close it. And she would pray God to take away this demon from your life. And then you would repent. How would she take the demon away? What was the ritual? Uh, She would say scripture that was meant to bind a demon. Okay. And then she would pray that God would bring, uh, you know, cut that out of your life with more scripture. So, but sometimes, well, now that I think about it, the only reason she would do that is if I gave her information of myself. So I started becoming more secretive. And you're already been encouraged to be super secretive up yes. to this point. So it's just like furthering you down mm-hmm. this rabbit hole. So I became very secretive and I, I essentially was living a double life. I would have boyfriends, you know, in secret, you know, and then they would bring, it would end because I think people got wind that I had like a... I was not being truthful about, you know, my family and things like that. Because I would never tell anybody that I was dating anything, anyone. Then I would also be going to clubs. I would go to gay clubs by myself or like with a friend that knew a little bit about me. And so I was doing a lot of things uh, behind closed doors that I wouldn't say anything about. Or I, I started becoming very isolated. And then I would only hang out with the people from the church. So... I don't think I had a really a real sense of who I was during that time. And how old are you at this point in the story? Mm, so I I was involved in that group from about 16 to 17 until I was about 28. 28? Mhm. Wow. That's a lot of years. Yeah. And how did you how did you break away? When did all of this start to shift? So when I was, yeah, I think 28, I met someone online. Okay. And uh, I didn't, I was too afraid to even send a message to this person. I had seen his profile. So what I did was I liked his profile. Yeah. So he could see that I liked it. And then he messaged me. And the next day we ended up meeting. We went to a bar. And then... We started talking. I really liked him, but he shot me down right away. He he just said like, "Hey, I just want a casual like thing. I'm not seeking to have like a girlfriend." And I said, "Okay." So we became. I told him like, "Let's be friends then." Yeah. And we ended up spending a lot of time like 
for a month as friends, even though it was very obvious that we were liking each other. And this is when I finally decided to be brave. And I let, you know, let them know that I was dating someone. Uh, I let them know that he was actually Greek Orthodox, which... In, you let the church know. Yeah. So for these people, like Catholics and Greek Orthodox, they're, they're, not, they're not considered true believers. Yeah. Because there is a, an emphasis of doing things by works. So, which is how I grew up. Yeah. Catholics works equals yeah. heaven. So they don't believe in that. So they were at first they were like, okay, well at least he's Christian, but then it became kind of problematic because it's like, well these aren't real Christians, you know, Greek like Orthodox people. So, but I just you know kept it. I decided that I was going to stay strong because I did not want to let this person go in my life. Yeah. And I think uh, six months later, we got engaged because I, I knew. No way. If I had known anything in my life, if I was sure about anything in my life, I was sure about this person. And and I had to trust my own gut on it, which I, I, was, I was shaking, you know, inside to trust my own opinion on this. But... Yeah, this just, is the first example in this whole story where you said you've trusted your own instincts. Yeah. And it was really organic, really natural that I, I wasn't afraid, even though like most people that would be a scary thing to in, get engaged to someone. They, oh my God, were, I have commitment issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I just knew I couldn't like let this person go. And, you know, if it didn't work out, then you know you can't you don't know those things so i went for it and i was very you know i was vocal that this person i'm dating him we're engaged and i uh did not get support when i told them that i was engaged so yeah i i was very honest about my engagement and and then uh that's when i started kind of really questioning a lot of things because I was getting such pushback about my husband's faith. Well, now my husband, but at the time my fiance about his faith and there was vocal uh, pushback telling me that they were worried that I, he was going to take me away from the church. Mm. Even though he had not said anything about all that, he, you know, he was actually he had said if that's something that we have to do separate, you know, we go separate places to worship, you know, we didn't even have that conversation. He really didn't care. Like if, if I went with him or I stayed at my place, you know, all that. Yeah. So they were telling me these things and then, um, then they started giving, telling me prophecy about his family. And so, about situations like that and that's when I started getting started kind of opening my eyes more where I thought like I'm getting all the this pushback but it's obvious that they you know they don't want me to go on my own forge my own life yeah so I started opening my eyes and I remember there was this one time when um I went to the bar with my husband and I told him, like, hey, I think I'm having, like, a crisis of faith. And he said, look, like, I, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I don't think 
that the things that they're teaching you are um, that they're safe or they're they're good. I just think that the some of these ideas are dangerous. Oh, yeah, and how did you respond f- to that? Yeah, that was the first time I had heard that. And part of me was a little offended. But at the same time, I already knew that I was having a lot of doubts. Because every time, you know, if I would try to exert my belief of what I thought God was telling me to do, it, it would usually be told, like, that's not God. Oh. And so then I had to depend on this person you know, telling me what God was saying. So then at this point, I started getting very frustrated and I started thinking like, maybe I don't want anything to do with religion because I feel like I'm not going to ever have my own life. I'm never going to be able to have a partner or move away. I'm always just going to be dependent on these people. And so that's when I started noticing more and more negative things from them. And then we ended up getting married and... I finally had a conversation with the pastor telling her like, Hey, that I, I think I want to start going to worship with my husband instead of here, which I going to tell them that was the most worrisome thing I've ever encountered in my life because I, I thought the moment that I break away from this group, that meant that I'm I'm going to go to hell. Yeah, because you've been indoctrinated in that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I had to. I kind of came to this point where I thought, like, okay, I'm going to hell. I'm not going to hear from God anymore. These people probably aren't going to talk to me again because I'm considered sinful now, or that. So it was a lot of a lot of fear. Because I became so dependent on these people, and now uh-huh. I have to think for myself. Like I have to reason with myself, and if things go wrong, it was because I chose to break away from God. Uh-huh. So I was going to be punished. Now I had all these beliefs, and in the end, the conversation wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. However. Right after I I told her that I, I was gonna start going to church with my husband, um, she called me about like thirty minutes later, and I was horrified because in the past when something like this were to have happened, if you had said something, and then you get a call back, it's because you were going to most likely going to have to have sp- uh, spirits prayed off of you or you know, right. Uh, have this kind of intercession thing going on. So she called me and then she told me if I had asked God about my decision and what did he say, things like that. And then, you know, I had to, I was still in this mindset where like I hadn't heard God's voice. I I can ask him to tell me something, but like I have yet to get an answer about anything. <laughs> right, only she's got it. Yeah, so... And she said, okay, yeah, just let you know, this is fine if you want to do this. But next time you need to really ask God and and see what he tells you. So I just, after that, you know, the call ended and I just decided that I never wanted to see her again. (laughs) Wow. So how did that feel? Was it mixed emotions, relief? Yeah. 
uh, there were times where I really felt like I made the uh, wrong choice because it's very attractive to live in existence where if anything happens to you, you always have an answer. Yeah. So now I wasn't going to have an answer for everything. Yeah. There's more gray area now. Mm -hmm. It was really painful. I was really afraid of my soul, of what would happen to me when I would die. Yeah. Um, I was really afraid if things on a daily basis would occur as far as like, would I start seeing manifestations of demons in my life? It's just a lot of things that were very irrational. But when you live with this belief all the time of the mystery of things, that the worry that your everyday interactions could be rooted in evil, it's very hard to see things in a normal way. Right. And I and I I know a lot of people will say like there's no such thing as normal. But when you have such a wacky way of seeing the world, I think there has to be some sort of baseline of reality mm. of how of how natural things happen. I didn't have that. I, I everything I had to always question like if I if if I make this decision to uh, will I see this devil? Will I, you know, it's not like you have faith to explain like a bigger picture. Your faith, you're so deep in these beliefs that like every action can be explained between like gods and demon mm-hmm. kind of thing. Is it- Everything seemed to be rooted in evil though, because I, I never really got the sense that I was living life in order to please God. Yeah. It was, I was living life in fear of Satan all the time of, of, true evil yeah and then for the most part i lived my life to please her right she is essentially god yeah she was my god yeah she she's created that if if god's the only one that can talk to her and she talks to you as god then Mm -hmm. it's essentially just an association she's creating so once i got out of that and i started talking to other people who consider themselves like non-denominational Christians and I would tell them like things that I had learned they would be like what really like no like and then I would think that that's is this not like a common practice like like you thought you were just religious at this time yeah and I I had no idea to think that that I was involved in a cult instead yeah but now you know I look back and I'm like, wow, the, this church never grew. It was only the same, like, 10 members or so. Oh. Um, you know, not every church did uh, open confessions. Not yeah, every I've never church. Heard of that. Yeah. Uh, not a, every church, you know, had teachings to the point where you were so exhausted you couldn't even pay attention. You, you were nearly falling asleep. It would go on to, like, four in the morning sometimes wow um not every pastor made you live in there (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just kind of so strange to like kind of think that um these things seemed so normal and then i power belief yeah then i i had a lot of challenges where if i told people like what i had gone through i would get the pushback of being told like that i was stupid for uh, having believed all that, that I thought you were smarter than that. 
Mm-hmm. How do you feel? How do you feel saying it right now? It still it hurts. I I uh, ended a, a really long friendship because of that. I, really, the person told me I was stupid. So yeah, it's just it. And then it was also challenging, you know, with my relationship because um, after that, I had to deal with a lot of the the fear and pain that came with that because uh, I ended up having to go through a string of like therapists that, you know, a couple of them did not validate my experience about what happened to me. They, they didn't consider that as a, a cult kind of thing because, they you know, you have the idea of, like, Heaven's Gate and all that stuff where... Oh, man, I'm in mental health and some therapists just piss me off. Yeah. I've worked with plenty of them and there's just an air of arrogance that can yeah. get caught up with some of them. So then uh, having to deal with the nightmares after that and then I finally met someone who did validate my experience and um i got diagnosed with ptsd yeah i was just about to ask that yeah so i had to do a lot of um what's the name of the therapy where you have to follow the fingers um trying to remember the name of this therapy. like hypnotherapy no uh like DMR or something? Oh, yes. What's it EMDR. called? EMDR. EMDR. Yes. The trauma therapy. Yeah. So uh, I had never had someone do that to me where I would do rounds of eye movement in order to sort my pain uh, to have have my brain be able to process it and yeah. then eventually erase it, which was amazing because I kept on having issues where if I would smell the lo- uh, laundry detergent that this lady used in her house... I would immediately get so sick to my stomach and I would remember being having all those oh, wow. um, exorcisms. Yeah, it was really tough. And then like all the nightmares that I would have afterwards of like going to hell and then or seeing her again. Yeah, it was so hard that that was really painful. So. So. After going through all this mm-hmm. and healing and congratulations, you've made it through <laughs> fucking crazy shit, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I mean, also just like you telling this, I think anybody listening, and I hope what we did and what you did was draw a very clear line on why these things happened, you know, mm-hmm. why you ended up in the situations. I don't think anybody listening to this can say, oh, I don't understand why she made that choice to be in that, that cult. You know, because it's and to be honest, you're showing such like I said already a few times resilience, like really like true getting through some crazy situations to be where you are now. So that's Mm -hmm. amazing. What do you want to do with all this experience? I feel like you see you're like you seem like an artist. I mean, you Edith for all the listeners out there told an incredible story at our fireside stories event. Like it was one of the best all summer, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I got a couple of people who said that too. Um, yeah. What do you want to do with all this experience and and all your talents and stuff? Well, now since I see myself way differently than I I did before, I mean, I'm still healing in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. Now I see so many possibilities for myself and for other people too. Like whenever someone says, 
I can't do that. I think, yes, you can. You, mm-hmm. There's so, we're so capable of doing greater things. Now that whenever I, I, I look back at the things that I wish I had done, I don't feel like that there's no, long, no longer possible. Like now I can try it out. If it doesn't work out, then okay, well, it, it didn't happen. You know, it's fine. Yeah. But at least like I gave it m- my best effort. One of the things that I had wanted to do was write. And I had been told before that I wasn't a good writer, that, you know, things like that, because I lacked a lot in my English skills. But now I feel like that's something that I want to explore. Like now I really want to maybe look into doing things with video again. Mm. So I feel now that since I see myself differently, that I can trust myself in the things that I'm far more capable than I thought I was before. Then now I care about my opinion, not about someone else telling me, you know, the, you can do this or or not. That's amazing. I don't know if that really good. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure if that made much sense, but, um, yeah. I mean, you talked about not having confidence throughout the story and it's great that you've been able to develop that. I think one of the things that I had learned is about being my own spectator instead of waiting for someone to cheer me on about something that I can look to myself and ask myself, did I do my absolute best with this? Right. Did I, um, yeah, just give it my complete best shot and then am I satisfied with what I did instead of looking to somebody else to tell me like, good job. Yeah, that's something I always, I struggle with to this day and I have to be really mindful of. Mm-hmm. So what are your projects? What's upcoming for you? So I had a blog that I had started and I initially started the blog because I wanted to record all of my most painful things that had happened to me, I guess, um, because I thought that would help someone. Yeah. And, and I... I I honor what my thoughts were with that, but I in the end I felt like that didn't wasn't serving me very well because I was kind of dwelling into things that have happened instead of being able to, you know, take inventory but move on. Yeah, I I used it more to fuel my resentment, my anger, you know, all that. So. I'm still kept some of the old posts on there, but now what my thing is, is with this blog that um, I am doing challenges for myself now okay. in order to improve my myself. So the first challenge I, I did was to wake up early every day because I had I struggled so much with my sleeping pattern because I, I had excessive nightmares and things like that. Uh-huh. But now I, I'm not battling that anymore. But now I want to be able to do things for myself that are going to help me with goals, like as far as like maybe learning a new language or uh, really getting serious about the blog or, I don't know, working out more, things like that that would improve me. So that that was my last blog is that, I challenged myself to get uh, wake up early for seven days and hopefully turn that goal into a, an actual habit. Uh, and you're writing about that. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That must feel more empowering too. Mm-hmm. And, and since I'm doing this in blog form, there's, you know, I have a small little 
you know audience of who reads my things and i like that better than uh having to advertise things on instagram or facebook and all that yeah do you want to shout it out to the listeners or no <laughs> uh so it's called um big Edie's musings but i'll include the the website on there cool yeah we'll put it in the link yeah so that's what i'm doing right now and then just doing things for myself uh as far as you know making sure on a daily basis that i i did things to the best of my ability for myself not because i'm trying to get some sort of validation from someone else mm. Mm. super powerful is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about or hmm no i i think that's what it is um I would say, if anything, anyone who's struggling with not trusting yourself, that you have to kind of set up that expectation about what it is that you want to do with your life, that it's not based at all off of somebody else's opinion, that you have to really think about what is it that you can control and what you can't control, and that you choose to live your life according to your own virtue, I guess, or mm. your own beliefs that you do the right thing for yourself, not because of others expectations, because that's kind of like a really hard spiral to keep on going on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for this conversation, Edith. This has been really eye opening for me. I've, I've learned a shit ton <laughs> and I know everyone listening will and has. Mm. Thank you for inviting me. I I honestly never thought it would be interviewed for a podcast. And so this has been another really great experience. Awesome. So I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. These conversations are very special to me. After each one, I feel more connected to myself and the community our team is building. I hope you were able to walk out with something for your own life and the journey you are on. I would love it if you could leave a review or share this episode with someone you care about. It all helps Soul Stories grow and make the impact we hope to make. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.